Welcome to the Continuing Education Podcast for CASA Volunteers, connecting you with experts who can advance your advocacy for children and families. I'm your host, Maggie Halpin, and this is CASA on the Go. Hi, everybody. It is my joy and honor to introduce our wonderful guest today, the lovely Laura Villarreal, who is the Neurodevelopmental Program Specialist with the Texas Workforce Commission Vocational Rehabilitation Services. And we're going to break down um, all of that um, as we talk today. So we're going to be talking about the web of services and supports that the Texas Workforce Commission offers for youth who are in foster care to really help expand their access to economic opportunities and really support them in establishing life-giving stability as they transition to young adulthood. So thank you so much for being here, Laura. Would you talk a little bit about your background and maybe tell us um, one thing you really love about the work that you do? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Margaret, for having me here today. I'm a podcast junkie. So this is like my dream come true that I can be on a podcast. Um, So at TWC, um, our mission is to improve service delivery to the youth in foster care. We consider them our second priority population right after veterans. Um, Our agency actually provides some funding to the transition centers. And so we have had partnership with the transition centers, but we, you know, we realized some time back pre-COVID um, that we weren't really serving these youth to the extent that we had the capabilities of. And so that's when we really began to um, seek uh, partnerships um, throughout the state and um, just really expand service delivery. I look at it as um, how can we leverage our services? Each one of us comes to the table with our resources, but how can we expand on those so that the youth can get everything that they need um, from our program? At VR, we typically start working with the youth around age 14. And I I like to think that that would be summer before their freshman year. We know it's going to vary depending on um, what the student's high school experience is. But I really um, try to emphasize to our counselors um, that serve these youth that we need to become part of the picture and part of their experience early on so that we're not just one more adult um, impacting their lives. We have counselors across the state that serve as subject matter experts that um, we are tasked with providing adequate training to so that they can um, have everything that they need to serve the youth and partner with all of the stakeholders. Um, It may be the the DFPS case manager, um, the CASA worker, the attorneys um, that represent the youth, of course, the the foster care parents, and even those that that go to kinship. Um, And so we really want to make sure that our counselors that are tied to that catchment area, with Texas being such a huge state, um, have the skill set to work with those youth. And even more importantly, we know that this population is a very transient population. It's not uncommon for them to have I believe I, when I researched it, up to 15 moves sometimes that they're impacted by. And so we need to make sure that if they're being served by a counselor in Lubbock, that if they relocate to San Antonio, that we can do that handoff and that services are going to be seamless um, for that youth as much as possible. Because the last thing we want is for them to get, to get lost, right? We want to make sure that, that we keep those connections with the youth. Awesome. Great. Okay, so... 
you mentioned like partnering with youth with counselors um, to support them kind of like around when they're going into high school. So you y'all, your your team offers a wide range of services for youth, right? Including job training, tutoring, mentoring, housing assistance, um, all kinds of things. So uh, could you give us like an overview of the foster youth services um, that you offer? Absolutely. So back in 2014, new legislation was signed um, and it's referred to as WIOA. And so what that tasked our agency with doing is saying, okay, you get this pot of funding, 15% of these funds, which is a huge chunk, needs to be dedicated toward youth with disabilities. Um, And so we have a menu of services called PREATS, Pre-Employment Transition Services, and that starts around the age of 14. Um, Primarily what we're looking at at that age, because our end game in VR is employment. We wanna make sure that these um, individuals that come to us um, have you know a full kit so that they're able to um, pursue that that vocational goal that they have in mind. Um, and so typically around age 14, what that looks like, Margaret, is looking at um, career exploration. Um, and so we have different batteries, um, one of them being um, the Berkman assessment. We have interest inventories where we can work with that youth and say, you know, um, I want to be a teacher. I want to go in the medical field or I want to do some type of short term training, I think. And so they have the opportunity to explore those different tracks. Um, and we even have what we call work based learning where they can try on a job and get paid for it for a, I believe it's up to 10 weeks, um, of course. Those restrictions are gonna look different for a 14 and 15 year old versus a 16 year old, just because of what the, the laws are, um, but at least start having that conversation with the youth um, so that they can have some ideas and know that they have options. Um, for so many of the youth in foster care, um, decisions are dictated to them, right? Where they're gonna live, where they're gonna to go to school, who their doctor's going to be and those types of things. And so this gives them the freedom to have that choice. Um, most importantly is, um, the counseling around self-advocacy. You know, I have a voice. What are my choices? What what things do I want to pursue? What does that look like for me? Um, and I would say those services are primarily what we're looking at for a youth of that age. Um, when we're looking at um, exploring those vocational options, we have like soft skills training for the youth um, to just talk about, you know, what's appropriate um dress, what's appropriate attire, how do I communicate with others? It was interesting, one of the individuals who's been a game changer for us, um, her name is Gay Vopat, and she works at the state office with DFPS. And if I just have an idea about something, Gay's like, let's set up a meeting and we'll bring all the decision makers to the table. And she has done this for us over and over again, Margaret. She's just phenomenal. Um, So our agency, because the criteria to be eligible for our program is you have to have a disability and we have to see that that disability will impact employment and you have to be capable of an employment outcome. Just as we talked about a little bit earlier, um, these youth are tired of the labels. They're tired of being called, you know, a kid in foster care, much less wanting to be tied to a label being a disability. Um, And so we were having this conversation with Gain. We said, you know, we really need to get away from um, the label of intellectual disability. One of the ones I hate the most is emotional disturbance. Um, Also, um, ADHD, learning. I mean, there's so many labels, right? 
Um, and so Gay said, I have a great idea. Let's get you in front of the youth council, which is about 20 youth um, who serve as, as experts. You know, they've, they've had lived experiences. And so my coworker, Gabby Martinez, and I presented to them. And um, they gave us some honest, candid feedback, Margaret, on how the language that we're using and to talk about um, using a word like maybe impairment instead of disability and how that just, it's set better with them. And so just being mindful of, of what our language is that we use because we don't wanna turn the youth off. We know that oftentimes we have one chance, one opportunity um, to work with them. Um, and so again, we try, we would love to get in there as early as age 14. There really isn't an age out um, period in regards to um, how long the youth can work with us. Our pre-employment transition services are typically from ages 14 to 22, but even after they age out of 22, we provide services as an adult that look very similar. They just may be called something different in policy. But again, how can we layer services for the youth so that they can get the most out of what um, they're eligible for? Awesome. I mean, it sounds like a really incredible resource for youth who get connected to it. I'm wondering how can CASA volunteers advocating for youth, you know, in this age range that you're talking about, help youth to get connected to the services that are available? And if they're available, like, in all parts of Texas, including in rural areas. Right, and our services are available across the state, um, even in rural areas. We've had um, April Martin with the Texoma Workforce Board. Um, she came to our conference that we had this past April, and she said, you know, Laura, I hear you all talking so much about the youth in foster care, but there's also those youth that are reunified with families. And how can VR services expand and help the whole family? so that it's not just um, the focus on the youth. And she introduced us to this woman that um, had her children were removed from the home. And I'll tell you what, Margaret, she did not represent the face of what the stereotype typically is um, for, for parents that have their youth removed. She had come up against some hard times coupled with addiction, coupled with abusive relationships, and her children were removed. And her DFPS worker was just phenomenal. Again, they were in a rural area in um, the Texoma area. And the DFPS worker said, you know, Laura, I didn't have time to just sit on my hands and say, well, we don't have transportation or we don't have um, a large employment um, network here. She said her supervisor said, you just need to step up and do it. And that's definitely um, an area where you can see where those pieces come together, where you have a DFPS worker that's completely engaged. You have a parent that's ready to turn the tide and, you know, has the wherewithal and the resources to get the, um, the children back. It was also interesting going back to my coworker, Gabby, who worked with DFPS for, I want to say, seven years. She said, you know, Laura, there's all these resources available for the foster care parent. But what about the biological parent? you know, that doesn't have their transportation, doesn't have the support, doesn't have the technology or whatever it looks like for that parent um, to, to meet the outcomes that DFPS or the courts have set up for her. And I see those gaps. Um, Margaret is being opportunities for the CASA worker to step in and provide that support and provide that support without judgment. And again, like you and I talked about, the CASA workers are there primarily on a volunteer basis. They want to be there. And 
from what the communication I've had with the parents, with the youth, that looks different for them because it's not just one more paid person to be in their lives. They're there and they're invested because they want to be. So I, I could see that as an opportunity for the CASA workers also to kind of provide that support to the DFPS workers and into the, the parents, the foster care parents. Um, I, I just, the CASA workers I've worked with have just been so phenomenal. You can just see they have that energy about them and that investment and um, that willingness to, to make the changes that need to be made for these youth. Wow, it's so exciting to know that like young people across Texas can look for this kind of support and just how kind of wraparound it sounds like the approach is and how holistic. I loved what you were saying about like, um, encountering this mom and, and really having to like reckon with the negative stereotypes about parents involved with CPS that that are so pervasive, I think, in kind of our cultural narrative about families who become involved with CPS. And a lot of folks who are involved with CASA have that same experience of realizing like, oh, this is a, a human being who's actually had to endure a lot of um, significant hardships and is struggling and is um, trying to do their best and how do we partner with them to like really help them access the resources that they need in order to safely parent their children again so I love that that you're thinking about like how do we um, support the youth and then also um, youth aren't in a vacuum and so if there's you know folks in their family how do we take this holistic approach to connecting services to everybody who could benefit from them. So that's so beautiful to hear. So access to opportunities to earn a living um, and to support themselves financially is so critical for youth who have experienced foster care. And I love that the program that you're describing, it's not just solely focused on helping youth in securing employment in the long term. Um, there's also this emphasis on, you know, helping youth and securing stable housing and having these ongoing, you know, relations, supportive relationships with folks who are cheering them on and, and helping them problem solve and who are just there for them, walking along beside them. So would you talk a little bit from y'all's perspective about why it's so important to have this kind of wraparound approach to supporting these youth and young adults? Absolutely. Earlier, I mentioned to you that I had the opportunity starting last year to sit in Judge Griffin's docket in Harris County. And I will say, Margaret, so the way that it would work, we would sit in the docket and then he would make a recommendation for the youth to apply for our services. And then the DFPS worker um, would make sure that documents were signed for confidentiality and everything was um, sent over to us. And what we found was 99.9 .9 of these youth um, that we met at the dockets met our eligibility criteria. And it just wow. makes sense, Margaret, to connect with them at age 14, 15, as opposed to age 22, 23, where they're possibly at a shelter, where they've already lost several jobs, where they may have been impacted by addiction or, or other things just because of the nature of their situation. So the early intervention is really key in developing that safety net for them. It's so interesting because I think about it like is a, a linked fence and there's all these, these connections, but it's a matter of making sure that one of the connections doesn't 
disconnect because then it kind of all falls apart, right? And so you need to make sure that that, that communication is occurring. And one of the things I love about what I get to do is, is meeting new people and connecting with those people um, and making sure that they know that I'm personally invested um, and just kind of feeding off their energy as well. I mentioned to you earlier, the Children's Commission, um, Amy Corbin and Jamie Bernstein, they have been phenomenal. They've been our cheerleaders since the beginning on getting us connected with the different people um, that we need to be connected with. And if there's anything I've really learned during this experience is we all seem to work in silos and we all have our end goals that we're tasked with meeting. And sometimes they're similar, sometimes they're different, but at the end of the day, those are all impacting the youth. Um, Judge Griffin runs a um, a PAL docket where the youth are transitioning out of foster care into into the world and they can make the decision whether or not they want to continue attending his docket or not. And we had some of our counselors go last year and attend the docket and they attended this year too. And some of the feedback we got from the counselors was these kids are on resource overload. There's so many decisions that they have to make and all of it feels so critical to them. So how can we do it in tandem so that it makes sense to the kid and that it's not overwhelming for them? Um, Because these are life decision making, you know, points in their lives. And so we want to make sure that they have all the information but that they're able to step back and make a decision that's that's right for them. Because as we talked about earlier, for years they're conditioned um, for all the decisions are made for them, right? Where they live, where they go to school, who their doctor is. And so they're at a turning point um, where they're given that responsibility. And it's a huge responsibility um, for them to make. Um, and so that's where, you know, it, it takes all of us to provide that support and to to be mindful. One of the things I've really loved about this journey is that I don't see the turfism. Sometimes when you work on with different partners, there's that tendency to say, this is just my area and I'm not gonna share this area with you. And I think because the nature of working on this initiative, we all need to leverage and work together in partnership. And so that's really been the beauty of it. Um, I mentioned to you earlier that we started hosting an annual TWC foster care conference back, I wanna say around 2018, um, and each year it's grown. This past year we had about 200 attendees. We're really hoping that this next year we'll have more around 300 to 350 attendees. And that's going to be, I wanna say the first week in April, which is foster care month. With that conference, we also, um, for the, the month of April, we do a weekly webinar. And again, Gabe Opat with DFPS has been phenomenal with us, making sure that we are sharing information that our stakeholders will find value in. And then we're also doing quarterly webinars. They're free, people can attend them virtually. And hopefully that'll be another place for people to put a face to the name and say, oh, that person works at CASA, let me reach out to them. Or I hear that they're doing this initiative in a smaller town in Texoma, how can we replicate that here? Yeah. And so we're, we're excited about that. And how do people find out about when those will be offered if they wanna make sure to get on the list? Absolutely, so I'm gonna share as one of the resources our TWC intranet page that you all can access and get up-to-date information. We also have a proposal out, and I I probably shouldn't say this because I'm still waiting from, but I'm I'm manifesting it and and hoping, sending out positive energy um, that we're going to have um, 
a, a guide that can help us. That'll be an electronic guide. So if I'm a grandma that is raising um, my grandchild through kinship, and I haven't done this for a minute, so what does that look like? I can go to this guide and plug in to what my child's age is and what the resources are um, so that I'm not as overwhelmed and I know who my partners are in that process. Um, we also, as part of this initiative, we want to have focus group meetings in the different cities and hopefully that'll evolve into Margaret like a CRCG where we have decision makers that can say, okay, I have this challenge for housing. What what can we do to band together to make sure this youth gets what they get or what they're what they're needing in order to continue in school or continue working that job. We want to start those off in the um, the catchment areas of where our three judges are in Harris, Brazos, and Dallas County, and kind of build it out from there, Margaret, so that we can see how these things can be replicated in different pockets. Um, we also really want to expand our communication with um, the foster care liaisons in the high schools and on the college campuses, because we know that that can be a direct resource for the youth and also help us maintain contact with the youth because like we talked about earlier they're a very transient population so if they move from one part of the state to another how can we continue to provide that support to them so that they're not starting at point a again yeah making sure that these youth have access to this support around their access to opportunities you know as they transition into young adulthood i think a lot of times like you said like it's like each kind of like party or stakeholder that's working with the youth has their kind of like this is my role this is like kind of I'm here to make sure that this happens like a lot in the CPS system it's a huge focus on legal permanency um for CASA we try to bring on top of that like a big we really value relational permanency and how important that is um for all of us and especially for these you know kids and youth and foster care to make sure that we're um advocating for that alongside them and then I just hear like how important it is that there's this sense of support for you to access opportunities and imagine and work towards what kind of future you want for yourself and there's people who are there (laughs) to like walk alongside you with that to listen to you as you like you know imagine what that might look like and and try things on and explore and how life-giving and how necessary that kind of support is. So awesome that y'all are creating that um, and offering that all around the state. Is there, what else do you feel might be important for CASA volunteers in Texas to know about the services and resources that are available that we haven't talked about yet? Well, you know, I always go back and and talk about the judges because all three of them are so wise in the guidance um, that they give and what I what I get to eavesdrop and hear them share with others. And one of the things that Judge Griffin talks often about to the youth is the importance of accessing services because it levels the playing field for them, right? Yeah. And again, many times they're they just want to leave it in the rearview mirror. They don't they don't want to to access that support. But just the importance of that mantra that, you know, these are services that that because of what they've been through, because of the challenges that they've had, they have earned these services. And so I think that that that's important for the CASA workers to make sure to echo that for the youth. And then also 
one of the things that Judge Gonzalez often says is that success doesn't always feel comfortable for them. So, you know, it's important for our counselors, for the CASA workers to hang in there with them um, and make sure to be, be patient and supportive of them. Even when um, they have success, like I mentioned earlier, they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And then is, is April mentioned that the navigator in Texoma, that we have to be mindful of the reunification because oftentimes they're going to, they're going to engage with their family again for, for good or bad, right? And to be supportive of them and make sure that they have everything they need when that does happen for them. It's really, for lack of a better word, delightful when, I, when we have a conference and during COVID we had virtual conferences and we would have a youth panel and it was almost like a family reunion for them because, they, you know, they would connect with youth that they knew, whether it be from a school or a residential treatment center or um, a foster home. And, and you would just see the joy that they had in interacting with each other. And that's what we need to continue to foster for them. Yeah, there's a lot of hardships that they go through and circumstances that weren't so great leading up to where they're at but we can still bring that joy and opportunity into their lives, you know, by empowering them, you know, with that self-advocacy, with trying out those different jobs. One of the things I was going to mention to you earlier when I mentioned that group of, of the 20 youth, the advisory group of the, the yeah. foster alumni that Gay introduced us to, it was so interesting to me, Margaret, because we said, we asked them, what is the one skill resource that, that you feel that you would have benefited from when you were in foster care? Something that, that we may take for granted that you would know that you didn't know. And they said basic hygiene, like knowing what deodorants to use, knowing what shampoos to use, knowing when they had a fever versus um, a bruised bone, knowing do they take Tylenol or do they take Advil? Basic things like that, Margaret, that that I know my boys take for granted because I'm like, you know, Nurse Nelly at our house that, you know, provides those things to them. But just how empowering that can be for them to know basic things like that. One of our counselors had said one of the, the things she picks up right away on a skill that the kids don't have is knowing how to sweep, knowing how to wash their clothes because rules change depending on the home that they're at in regards to what those duties are. So basic things like that for them, we, we have to be mindful of when we're communicating with them because we have to meet them where they're at. We can't make assumptions on, on what their needs are. That goes back to what you said, Margaret, like building those relationships. You know, maybe I'm the new counselor working with Jeffrey and he's not quite there yet with me, but the CASA worker already has that rapport with him and has been working with him. So how can I work with that CASA worker to make sure that, that Jeffrey gets everything that he's needing? I'm just like taking in what you said about these young adults who shared that experience with you and feeling like, well, we didn't have the people that we needed to help, you know, help us like have those relationships that we could like get answers to these day to day things about living life. And it's, I don't know. It, yeah, it just always like gets me my heart, like thinking of any young people who are, um, made to feel that they are so out there on their own like that. So just thinking about that and feeling gratitude for all of the work that y'all are doing to try to stand in the gap and be, be there, be a resource, be a supporter. And for all the folks listening to the work that they do to really build authentic, you know, consistent 
caring, empowerment-based relationships with the uh, children and youth that we have the wonderful privilege to get to know. And so just wanted to say that it's been such a wonderful and illuminating conversation with you, Laura. Anything else you want to add before we start to wrap up? I would just say that we, you know, not every kid's journey leads to college, our post-secondary, you know, um, education, but we have created some great wraparound programs at some of the universities. And so if anybody wants to learn more about that, they could always reach out to me. We just want to make sure that they have all the supports in place that they need, because we know that with the youth in foster care, their chances for unemployment are much higher than their peers, their chances for homelessness and um, for just repeating what's happened to them, you know, and continuing to be part of the system. I think Judge James said it perfect. She said that um, we have all the tools to, to break the cycle, you know, through employment. Employment can be key to the success of the individuals impacted um, by, by the foster care system. So we're just grateful, Margaret, to have a seat at the table. We're grateful that you gave us a platform today um, to share our mission. It's a work in progress. I would never say that we have perfected it, but our goal is to continue expanding what um, what we've started and to um, increase our service delivery. I mean, we're, we're hopeful to have some of you at, at next year's um, annual TWC Foster Care Conference because we know that that at CASA, you all bring so much to the table. Thank you, Laura. Um, I, I will link to y'all's um, resource page for folks who are listening so that they can find out more about how they can get connected and help, help the youth that they're advocating for get connected. Thank you so much for your time and experience, for the passion that you bring to this work and for shining a light on these resources that we can tap into and draw on um, to hopefully, you know, continue to better serve the youth that we walk alongside. So thank you so much. Thank you, Margaret. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to Casa on the Go. Join us next time for more dynamic continuing education brought to you by Texas Casa.